Is this the dagger? Oh! Illegal substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise me I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Calm down, everybody. Welcome to The Outsiders. It's podcast number 71. The Outsiders is powered by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths, and Robin Brownlee joins us. How you doing today? Outstanding, Bryn. Ready to rumble today. Well, it's a good show coming up because in a couple of moments, we're going to be chatting with Edmonton Oilers head coach Dave Tippett. Looking forward to seeing how his summer is going. Lots of changes with the hockey club. And... Uh, A high excitement level, but there's a lot of angst, as we've noticed if you uh, follow the Oilers on any of the traditional social media circles. But it'd be kind of fun to get his take on things, won't it? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Oilers Twitter is some of the most engaged Twitter you're ever going to find. Any social media, for that matter. Lots of changes this year. All these expectations going into a new season. Yeah, it'll be fun to talk to him and get his take on on where they're at and where they're going. Before we get to tip, let's talk about some of the hot topics that are out there today. The the biggest one right now is the situation with the Edmonton Elk and the fact that they've had, at last report, five positive COVID tests, which has postponed the game in Toronto against the Argonauts on Thursday night. But it's very, very concerning. What's your take on it, Robin? Well, obviously it sucks, but um, to be honest, and I'm a bit of, you know, I've, I, I, I look at this COVID situation, Brennan, have for a long time, um, just strictly from the impact on sports. Let's so not, you know, there's lots of roads you could go down. Yeah. I'm always worried that we're too quick to say it's done. We're through it. Um because we want to get back to going to football games, cheering for the team that you cheer for, going to hockey games, just generally getting back to getting everybody getting their lives back. But I wondered about the timing and I wondered about when we would see this, not if. I know that sounds like hindsight, but that, that's honestly the way I looked at it. I thought, man, um, I hope it works, but I wasn't sure. And now... I hope it, it's no worse than what's happened with the elk of uh, having this game at this point postponed. But what are the chances it begins and, and uh, ends with them? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little scary, a little concerning. I'm with you. I'd like to, I'm, I, I, hey, listen, everything I've gone through in the last two years, I try to focus on the positive and not yeah. look too far down the line. And on this COVID thing, I'm not convinced we're through it. But I'd like to think more positively that we can all kind of figure it out and get there. And it'd be nice to be able to get back into the hockey arena full speed ahead. I'm sure Dave Tippett will probably say the same thing coming up in a couple of minutes. I'd like to see more people turn out at Commonwealth Stadium. But I I think you would have to be really dumb to not be seeing what's happening with the CFL here today with this Argonauts-Elks thing and not become just a little concerned about it. But I guess we'll have to wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, hey, let's get back to normal. But I think the road to normal uh, isn't necessarily one we run down. It's one we have to walk down uh, step by step. And, you know, I'd rather do it a little more slowly and do it right than rush to normalcy and find out that normalcy is a lot further off because we haven't taken those proper steps i remember as a 15 year old my dad would give me advice and i would try not to roll my eyes when i got that advice now i find that i'm giving advice like that to uh younger kids and i uh, i haven't seen them roll their eyes on anything but slow and steady was the one that my dad always said make sure that you 
just don't rush into anything emotionally and that you engage your brain. And uh, I guess my dad was correct on that. And hopefully the uh, Canadian Football League and the NHL and everybody, as we try to get through this COVID thing, let's just make sure we do it right to make sure that we don't have to keep backtracking because nothing nothing drives me personally more crazy than having to backtrack on, on shit. I, uh, yeah. I That just tells me that I never thought it through properly in the first place. But uh, like I said, we could go a million different directions on COVID. So let's uh, let's pass on that. This past weekend in Edmonton, the CEBL, that's the Canadian Elite Basketball League, held their championship weekend. Congratulations to the Edmonton Stingers again, beating Niagara in the final. You know, I was watching bits and pieces of the, the championship matchup on television on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't the NBA, but you know what? I, I don't want to be dismissive of it because I kind of like what they're trying to do here. This is giving Canadian kids an opportunity to continue to play basketball, very much the way we're seeing with the Canadian soccer, the way things have kind of been shaking down over the last few years. Not everybody's going to make it to the MSL. So you need to have a Canadian league in place to give athletes something to shoot for. And it's the same thing with this. One, they've got a TV contract, so good on them. They're on CBC. That was a, that was a huge, huge venture that, that they went forward to. Somebody said they're connecting the dots slowly but surely. But rather than be dismissive of it, I think they should be congratulated. I think it's slowly building. And, and I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the way they've kind of got out of the box here. As I said, not going to be the NBA, but I like, the, I like what they're doing, Robin. Yeah, I do too. We went to a game a couple of weeks ago uh, before the, the playoffs started. Uh, it's a wonderful night out. We've been to a few games and I like the atmosphere. You know, it's still in its initial phases here uh, as a league in Edmonton, but it's a good night out. The basketball is really good. I watched that that uh, final game yesterday. Of course, uh, my son Sam is a huge uh, Jordan Baker fan, and uh, you know it was. I tell you what, I got to ask this, and me, I, I'd like to think I'm not getting carried away based on one game. I'm just wondering, has a guy like Xavier Moon ever, at least, been to an NBA camp? Because that guy looks like a player. And I'm not saying, oh, he should be in the NBA, but he looks like a player to me. Would a guy like would a guy like that not be worth a look somewhere? Well, I would have to think, and this will be the true test of the league, is when scouts start appearing and yeah. watching to see what kind of talent we're having in Canada. And I think the talent level at the basketball level in Canada is growing. And we're seeing more and more Canadians now pop up in the NBA. I love it. I think it's great. So for me... The true success of the league won't necessarily be do they have a national TV contract, our sponsorship, uh, our fans starting to come to the games, and it's a slow build. But whether or not the NBA, because they, you know these guys are looking everywhere for the next great player, the next solid team player, that, that to me will be the real test, Robin. Yeah, and, and you know, Canada, there's a handful of Canadians uh, in the NBA, and that number slowly growing. Uh, you know, I tell you what, you, we can play the game up here. We just have one-tenth as many people as they do south of the line, and, and there's talent to be had. I watch this league. Now, some of the guys are older. Uh, they've probably had a kick at that can, and, and it didn't happen for them. But there are some still young players there, and I just wonder, you know, the separation between the big league where all the money is and a really good league like this, there's a distinct line, but it's not, you know, it's not uh, a forever away. It's not necessarily a quantum leap for the very best guys. And I look at a guy like Moon and his age and the way he plays, I'm thinking, man, somebody should at least work this guy out. The other thing, too, U.S. colleges will even be taking a look at some of the younger kids as well and wondering whether or not that might be an opportunity for them. Anyway, I I just wanted to bring it up because we don't talk about it very much, but I really kind of liked what I saw this weekend, and I see where they're going. And like I said, it's a slow build, but it's a build. And uh, congratulations to everybody. And like I said, Stingers, that's two years in a row that they've won the national championship. So 
That's that. Do you want to get to Dave Tippett right now? See what's on his yeah, mind? I think, I think that sounds like a good idea to me. That's the plan. All right. Well, let's bring him in. It's a long way from Mooseman through Saskatoon, Prince Albert, Hartford Whalers, Capitals, Penguins, Flyers, Coyotes, Jack Adams, trophy winner, Edmonton Oilers head coach Dave Tippett joins us on the Outsiders today. How you doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Uh, before we forget, right off the top, uh, birthday coming up this week at 60. Do you care about those numbers? No, they're just numbers. How you feel? I feel good. Exactly. That's exactly how I view it, too. And uh, I'm a little older than both of you two guys. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I try to act half my age. Let me put it to you that way. It's uh, the advice I would pass along to you. And uh, happy birthday coming up this week. Thanks very much. My wife would probably uh, disagree with you. She, the half, the half the age I was still playing and probably a little rowdy or something, but uh, the older, the better, I think. Well, where do we start? How was your summer? First and foremost, you're, you're in Minnesota. I'm guessing you're coming back to Edmonton quickly, but uh, how's it gone for you? Uh, It's uh, a little shorter than than a normal summer, but uh, it's been good. I spent some time down at our home in Arizona and, uh, uh, did some stuff down there, and then uh, I've had this uh, lake house up in northern Minnesota that uh, I bought bought it the first time I got traded. I got traded from Hartford to Washington in 1990, and I bought this uh, piece of land on a lake in Minnesota, so we've had it ever since. So don't get to spend much time here, but it's nice when we do. It's a beautiful day today, so uh, last couple of weeks before I head up to Edmonton, so it's a little break before the season starts. Dave, you mentioned uh, Arizona, and we've got lots to talk about with with the Oilers, obviously. But with the news events of the last week, you spent a fair chunk of your time in Arizona. The situation down there, when you look at that, what do you think now that you're, you know, arm's length from it? um, It always seemed like it was a franchise sort of in flux. It was ownership or lease agreement or or this or that uh the location of of, of the rink uh, when you hear the news come out what did you think uh disappointing a little bit but disappointing on one end because you know i did i spent a lot of time there you're spending a lot of time trying to fix the franchise get a franchise up and going um it's gone through a lot of ownership changes a lot of turmoil but there are great fans down there there's some real real solid hockey fans. Um, there's some good hockey people down there, but unfortunately it's, I said when I left that I, as nice as the arena in Glendale is, it's a nice arena, very functional. It's for the franchise to survive. I think it had to get to either downtown or the, or the East side of the city there. And, um, just because that's where I think the majority of the fan base is out there. You've got Mesa, which is a ton of Canadians that's been down there that, um, you know, on a, on a weekday game, it's hard for them to get to Glendale and, uh, and get all the way out there. So um, hopefully it's worked out. I think they need a new arena there uh, on the other side of the city, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, you you go back several years. I think of a day when uh, there was nothing out there but the rink. And I remember um, Mike Barnett uh, grabbed Jim Matheson and I and took us into this area where this impressive model of the whole, you know, now the area looks like that, uh, you know, uh, architectural uh, plan. But you touched on it. It can be a great spot. It's grown up. You remember when there was only that little guy who wouldn't sell with the farm out there and a few cattle? <laughs> Buy it many times, yeah. yeah. Um, they've delivered the uh, the entertainment district that they said they were going to, but sometimes you just can't get around geography. I, to me, it never made sense. Well, that's that's it. And it's, uh, you know, it's worked well for the football stadium there. But you got to remember that's once a week, Sunday afternoon, you're driving out there. Right. And it's, it's harder to get there. Um, you know, we, our home is in Scottsdale with you, you know, to drive to a game, I'd go earlier in the day before traffic, but for my wife to go to a game, you know, it's 45 minutes an hour in traffic to get out there uh, from the east side of the city. 
and it's even longer to go through, you know, from Mesa or those places out there. So it makes it makes it hard to get there. I've been there, when, you know, my first three seasons there were playoff team and team was going pretty good. And, and you know, in, in the playoffs, the place was sold out all the time. There's good hockey fans there, but it's just uh, the accessibility to make it easier to get to more games is was just never – it just wasn't the right spot to be in. And, uh, and that's, I think that's hurt the franchise, hurt the stability of the franchise. Hey Dave, before we talk about the specifics of what's going on here in Edmonton, I, you know, obviously we, we look at your playing career here in Hartford or new England and with the caps and the penguins and the flyers over an 11 year span, but you, you, there's one year that sticks out for me and it was the following year. And you went to the Houston arrows and it was a playing coach yeah. position is that what really kind of turned the coaching switch on for you? You know what? I, think, uh, I was there was some lockout issues going into the into the uh, that season, and I was talking to Philadelphia. They were still humming and hawing whether I was going to sign another deal with them. I had a young family, and uh, uh, Pete Deneen was uh, general manager of uh, the Houston Arrows, which was a, a, a expansion franchise in the international league. And I was kind of humming and hawing about coaching. And I reached out to him to see if there was any possibility of coaching if the season didn't go. Uh, Terry Roskowski was the head coach there at that time. So I ended up saying, you know what, I'm going to take my family. We're going to go to Houston. And I went originally as an assistant coach only. And it was an expansion team. And finally they said, look, we'll, we'll, double your and coming from an NHL player to assistant coach in the minors, you're, you're not getting a pay upgrade. I know that's yeah. assistant coach for a, uh, in a minor league team. So they said, well, double your pay if you play and coach both. So uh, we took off to Houston. I played one year as a player assistant. Then I started coaching the next year, full-time coaching, but it was something I wanted to do. And it was, it was actually a great segue into it where I still got to play a little bit, but, I always, I always laugh. I, I told uh, Terry Ruskowski, I said, I'll play, but my NHL career, I was a checker penalty killer. Now I'm playing point on the power play. I'm taking, <laughs> I'm doing all of the, all the things the NHL wouldn't let me do. That's what I, that's, that was my, my swan song down there. <laughs> With Houston, um, you know, it's come up in speculation about what could happen with Arizona as as Quebec City. Now they haven't gone anywhere yet, so we're not there. But you know Houston as a market. Um, is that a National Hockey League market in your mind? It certainly is a media market in a city. It's big enough. But did the NHL fly there? Well, it's it's hard to say. You know, we our minor league team there. We were averaging eleven thousand people a game. You know, in the was that that would be the early two thousands or whatever or, or late yeah. late nineties or whatever. Uh, so it was, it was a, it was a really good city. And, uh, as a player, I remember we played some exhibition games a couple times we played there. I think it was with Philadelphia. We played there one year. I forget who it was, maybe with Hartford, but, but they sold out the stadium there and it was, uh, it was a, a real good franchise. And the guy that owned the Houston arrows in the minor, uh, in the minor leagues, he had actually put a bid in for an NHL team. Uh, years ago when Columbus and uh, Minnesota came in and, and didn't get it, but they were gung ho about getting an NHL team there. So I, I, it's a big city. It's a big market in the U S I think there's uh, you know, there's, it, it reminds me of kind of like um, Alberta or, you know, a lot of oil people down there. There's a lot of Canadian influence down there. Um, so I, I think it could go there, but, but they haven't had uh haven't had much success here. I mean, the, the minor league team has moved on now, so it's been, it's been gone for a while. It'd be interesting to see if we could get up and going again. But it's a big enough city, and there's a, it's a great sports town, so you never know. It's back to work for you now, though, and it was a crazy summer around here. Lots of lots of change coming up with your hockey club. Kind of give us yeah. an overall view of how you see things going in, and then we'll get into more specifics. But you got to be excited because this is a kind of a, a little bit of a new direction, I guess, so to speak. Well, it's, it's exciting because I think we're, you know, Ken had an opportunity with some, with the salary cap to add some pieces. 
you know, that was one of the things that we, the first couple of years, we, you know, our depth, I think we, we took steps forward, but our depth in the end wasn't as good as it needed to be, especially at forward. Um, so we, uh, you know, we addressed some of those problems. I think Hyman's going to be a great player. Forgus, uh, Fogo will be uh, come in and be a solid player for us. You get players like that, Derek Ryan uh, coming in, players like that, and then the con- continuation of hopefully growth of Puliarvi and Yamo and and those players. I, I think our forward at depth is really really improved, and just to have the ability to use more people in different situations will help us. Um, the blue line is. Uh, some changes. The one that, you know, I think Ken has said, we didn't want to lose Larson, but understand how that goes sometimes in free agency. Um, adding Duncan Keith is, as uh, I think is going to be a real good player for us. I was at a golf tournament last weekend with Joel Quinville. We, we uh, spent some time together. Joel is really happy for Duncan and he thinks he's going to be a great player. Of all the guys, it's, it's funny, you know, as a coach, you talk to players during the summer. I've talked to Duncan a couple of times. He is one of the most motivated players I've ever heard coming to a new team. He wants to come in and really make a difference. So I'm excited to, excited to see what he can bring. Uh, CC is a guy I didn't know him well. Uh, watched some video of him uh, uh, with Pittsburgh last year. Solid player, like really solid. Jimmy Playfair, I really, I really value his opinion about watching defensemen and just the, the little parts of the game. Jimmy watched a bunch of, of – uh, video of him was very impressed with him last year. So we hope he can come in and fill some of that void that uh, Larson, uh, um, you know, left by Larson. I think Evan Bouchard is going to be a key player for us this year. He'll, he'll step in and, and get significant minutes. And I think he's going to take a step forward. I, I've said to some people, I think he could be our Jesse Pugliarvi this year where he comes in and we kind of start him down and he, he, continues to grow in our lineup and, and becomes a really good NHL player. So, um, you know, our defense is, it's going to be a little bit different, but I, I think there's lots of upside there, lots of upside. And our goaltending is, uh, is similar. Um, Schmidt had a heck of a year last year. We've got a longer schedule this year. So if we can get our goaltending back to where it was kind of the year before, where, uh, both guys get playing well and, uh, you know, I think our goaltending will be solid. Tip, you, you mentioned Mike Smith, um, and, and, and you were talking about Duncan Keith. A question involving two of those, regardless of position. Um, sometimes it's difficult when you're writing a story or doing a broadcast to make let fans understand exactly what the the intangible of experiences. What does it mean to younger players? What does been there, done that mean to uh, a Jesse Pogliarvi and Evan Bouchard, who's just finding his way into the league? Can, can you put your finger on it for us, Tip, about what that experience, gamesmanship, whatever you want to call it, what it means to a hockey club? Well, what it means is those players, the experience they have is experience to me is one of the biggest things is knowledge. They have knowledge of situations. They have knowledge of, of recognizing things that happen during a game, during a season, during a road trip, you know, to bring things together. And that knowledge or that experience that they have can really help a group, especially when your, your leadership group is a little bit younger. The knowledge of, like Duncan Keith's knowledge of three-time Stanley Cup and going through it with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, all young guys, they've been through all those wars, they've been through all that. That experience is invaluable. And, and that's one of the, you know, we talk about Mike Smith, that's one of the intangibles that people see Schmidt as a big goalie and he moves a puck well and he's, he's got lots of energy. But to see Mike Smith in the dressing room and the presence he has with our team, that's an intangible that people don't get to see, but is very, very needed in our, in our dressing room, right? So uh, I know Connor, Leon, all those, you know, those younger leaders there, they see a guy like Mike Smith and the, 
and the work he puts in, the passion he has to win still, those things all rub off. So the the intangibles are are things that I know fans don't see, but they're real in, in how you build a hockey team. Tip specifically with um, Duncan Heath, um, Ken Holland has talked, you've talked. A lot of people are hoping that Evan Bouchard uh, can take a step up this year. Their expectations are pretty great. You know, if he starts on the third pairing, that's fine. Maybe he moves up. How much value is there in having a guy like Duncan Keith or Cody Cece that a young guy like Evan Bouchard can get the lay of the land from? No, I think it's very valuable, especially um, Evan Bouchard. Like he's 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 coming. I think last year will end up, he'll look back, and I know he didn't play as much as he'd like last year, but he'll look back, and that was a huge experience for him. He played a little bit in Europe, got his feet wet, understands how hard the NHL is and how hard you have to work. And he's training the whole summer with Darnell Nurse um, down in Ontario. He's going to come in a very motivated player, but having that, having the wherewithal to have people like Duncan Keith or Nursey or, or CeCe right there to help him along the way will will be invaluable for his development and two things to make a great player you have to want to do it and have the have the passion to do it and you have to be willing to learn and evan has both those things and he's going to learn from some good people there that have been through a lot of the trials and tribulations of of you know winning in the nhl Dave, it's one thing to watch a player develop beautifully through the regular season, but when you watch a guy like Darnell Nurse in the postseason, and he was a horse in the postseason, it was unbelievable, especially that that last game. That's got to make you really excited about uh, where he can achieve by taking another couple of steps this coming season. Well, he can. He's he's phenomenal, and that that's going to be a story that I'll talk about for a long time because. Going through that game, and I think he played 60 minutes or something like that in that game. His wife, or his, uh, his fiance, was in labor. Mm-hmm. Had to try to get to the hospital right after the game. Was We weren't planning on flying until the next morning. He was wondering if he could take a, a, a private plane out. And just the dedication that he had to that game with what was going through his mind and then his young son born the next morning, which he actually, he got there just in time. So that's, that's one of those stories you'll tell that uh, is, is phenomenal for a, for an unbelievable young man. Like he's, his growth uh, on the ice, off the ice, leadership wise. Um, the Oilers are, are very fortunate to have a very intelligent, great hockey player like that, that, uh, carries himself well on and off the ice, but is is a, is a legitimate star in the NHL and shows the growth that a player can have. Like I remember Nursey when he first came in the league, coaching against him down in Arizona, and he was a raw young kid. Mm-hmm. He shows where he gets to now. And we just talked about, like, those are the things that he can he can help a guy like Evan Bouchard with or Broberg or Sam Rukov. These young players come through it. They have... They have players that have just are coming out the other side of that, and they know the benefits of, of leadership and the help that you can, uh, you know, give to young players. And conversely, you have a situation with Duncan Keith, who is going to have. There's going to be that spillover to Darnell Nurse as well. Yeah, exactly. It, it keeps you never stop learning, especially when you have really good people like Nurse. He's a guy that he takes classes and during the season, you know, he does some things that people. <laughs> I would be amazed that he, he does. a very intelligent young man and very driven young man that I think, uh, like you say, he'll, he'll, he'll take those lessons from Duncan and Keith, just like he'll give the lessons to, uh, to Evan Bouchard. Tip, uh, two guys who've been on the minds of a lot of fans this offseason, and I'm sure your mind as well, um, you know, there's been lots of ink about Zach Hyman uh, and, and some about Warren uh, Fogel. I look at these guys, and, and maybe I don't know a damn thing. I'm just an old sports writer. But I see that, uh, to me, I get the feeling there's more there 
than what we've seen with both of them, that you can't just look at the numbers and say, well, that's the player they get. What do you see when you look at Hyman and uh, Fogel? Well, there's a couple of things that we've talked about as a team. And, and if you look at our team the last two years, I mean, Connor and Leon drive the offense. And if you talk to other coaches around the league, they would talk about Edmonton, their quick transition, they score off the rush. But when you get into the playoffs, there's less rush chances. There's less mistakes made that allow you for quick transition. So your forecheck and your what you call like playoff style hockey becomes much more important. And those are two players we've added to our lineup that are right out of that mode. They create stuff off the forecheck. They win battles down low. They get to the front of the net. They're, they're willing to block shots. There's things like that, that we added players that I think are good playoff players, not just regular season players. And, and those are, those are parts of the depth that I think our team was missing. And, I think Ken and his staff have done a great job of trying to address some of that and will allow us to be a good forechecking team as well as a good rush team and hopefully a good transition team. But what happens when you have players like Connor and Leon, and I did it as a coach against those players, you try to take those, those rush chances and transition chances away by playing a conservative style and not give them. And that's what happens in the playoffs. So you better be able to create things other than that and then the other way we create is on the power play. But if you're not taking penalties against us, then then you don't get that opportunity. So basically, players like Hyman, Fogel, Ryan, they'll give us a chance to be a better forechecking team, a better grinding team that will allow us to get some results in different ways. I keep hearing this all the time, and it frustrates me to hear it a little bit. I want I want your take on it. When somebody says, oh, he's a Dave Tippett kind of player. Do, do, do you hear that and you kind of go, I'm not, yeah, I can work with any guy here. There's no real Dave Tippett kind of player. Does it frustrate you when you hear that? No, it doesn't frustrate me. It just, a coach's job is to maximize the talents of each player, right? And, you know, if you look at Connor and Leon, we've had the two MVPs of the league the last two years. Yeah. Right? You're trying to maximize those guys. But it's just like, it's just like a, a player like Josh Archibald. Or, or, you know, Tyson Berry coming in after a tough year, you're trying to maximize what that player can do. And, and that's the coach's job. You're not, you know, I, I was a penalty killer checker. Hey, I like those guys. There's guys that have a job, but it doesn't mean I want everybody to play like I did. There's, there's a, you have to maximize, maximize each player's talent. And that's, that's, I'd like to say if, if there's as many players as we can try to max out what they can do and what they can bring to the team, then the coaching staff is doing their job. Yep. Uh, Ken Holland has made this reference, and, and I think you've repeated it. Um, the Oilers uh, are in a win-now mode. Whether you consider that window three years, five years, maybe eight years now that Darnell is, has, is signed, um, what does that mean to you uh, and your staff when you're starting with, I would say, even if you don't say, the two? Be- I, I think the two best players in the league and for sure two of the top five guys in the league in, in Connor and Leon, that's got to look like a wide open window if you can get the rest of the roster right around those guys. Well, first of all, any coaching staff, the day they walk into the dressing room, you're in the win now mode. <laughs> yeah. You're always in the win now. You're win today. So the win now mode is is always in place for, for coaches. Maybe if you're in a situation where you know you're in a massive rebuild, I mean that that those things go like that. But so you're in the win now mode. But as you go on here, it's you the win now, you know, as you add players to your roster or you feel like your team is improving the chances of win now improve with that so uh, we have uh, two of the best players in the world without without question and and we have some good other pieces to go with it now we've added some some guys through free agency or a trade this year that I think give us you know continue to build that that group for us um, 
we've talked about our defense. We've got to get that group up and going here. And there's been some change there, but I, I, I think we'll be surprised that we can get this group move in the right direction. So it's uh, you're in the win now mode every year, but you know, coaches look and see what they have to work with too. And the win now there's times when it becomes more realistic. And I think we're moving that direction. Okay. So coaching in Dallas, coaching in Arizona, when you came on board in Edmonton, you talked about the excitement level, the expectation level, the pressure of coaching in Canada now you've had a little bit of taste of that. Is it really that much of a difference between the U.S. and Canada? Or do Canadians make it more than it is? You know what? It's been a little bit in flux. The first year I was there, we had fans till we quit. And, uh, and that passion of going to the rink every day and game day, you know, Saturday night, you know, hockey night in Canada, whatever it was, that, those are as a hockey player, I've been around the league as long as I have. Those who get your juices flowing. Now, I said that last year. That Canadian division would have been unbelievable. The only thing it was missing was fans. Yeah, you know, it would have been an amazing like to to show up there. And you got Toronto coming three or four times, and you got Calgary six times. It, I mean, the juices in the building would have been fantastic. So it's I don't know if I've got the real experience yet. I know that you know the notoriety of the game and the, and the passion that the fans have is, is it's, it's, it's at a level where in Arizona or Dallas, you weren't there, even though there's great hockey fans, but the, the passion of, of what the fans expect is, uh, is pretty strong in Edmonton. Well, there were polls on whether or not you should bring the mustache back and everything. I mean, was that even <laughs> relevant in the U S did they, I mean, it's, it just, it's a crazy place to, to live and watch hockey, but it's fun. Oh, it's fun. That's exactly it. And I, I said that when it came, I was looking forward to that. And, and it's, uh, it's funny. All my family lives back there and they're, they're dead right into it. And they, you know, it's a, uh, it's a different, it's a different lifestyle. That's for sure. I mean, that's, uh, I was saying I was uh, spent a few days with Joel Quinville last weekend and he, had, you know, he coached in Colorado and Chicago a lot of time. And now he's gone down to Florida and, he said, it's, it's a different atmosphere. You know, you, you still coach the same, you still have as much passion, but, but uh, you just, you're just not in the fishbowl like, uh, like a lot of places are. Just uh, a bad thing. Fishbowl is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Tip, you mentioned, and, and Bryn mentioned it, the mustache. And it's been a while, but the, the last time I saw the mustache, uh, Jason Greger and Frank Cervalli did a, their a podcast with you, and they started with an old clip of you in the jean jacket. And I think you were work. I think it was a thirty-four Chev. Uh, you said, "Are you still tinkering with uh, old classic cars and motorcycles, or is that something that uh, you've drifted away from?" No, I just finished one. I, I, I actually had. Uh... I had the first car I ever owned was a 1967 Mustang. I bought for three hundred dollars. <laughs> I was 15 years old, and I totaled it off when I was 16. And ended up buying it back from the insurance company. I've had it ever since. It's it sat in a barn for 25 years, and then my dad fixed it up for a little bit, and then. But I just uh, I actually just finished it here. Um, had some guys doing some work over last last winter, so it's. Uh, it's sitting in my garage at the lake here, so that's my latest project. But I haven't done, I uh, built a couple motorcycles. I haven't had much time to work on them this summer, but the old Mustang got a little uh, got a little work this year. And it's, uh, it's something, I, I like tinkering on things, like building things, and it's, uh, I'll do that till, till the day I can't anymore. I like, I like uh, between motorcycles, cars, boats a little bit, I do, Lots of lots of uh, lots of tinkering. It's it's interesting because I, I believe I heard you say uh, one of your grandfathers was a mechanic and the other was a carpenter. Is exactly. is is that your happy place away from the game? I mean, everybody wants that. Okay, 
hockey's basically my life, but at times you still have to put it over here and you got a home life and you got hobbies. Is this a place that you've, it seems it's a lifelong thing that this is part of your, your time away from the game. Well, it is. I mean, now, you know, you have family and, you know, your, your wife and uh, your children, sometimes when you're wrapped up in the game, uh, uh, you know, you'd like to spend more time with them. Now we've got three grandchildren, so I like to spend time with them, but, but time to get away. Like in, in my home in Arizona, I had a motorcycle shop built in the home and uh, I'm actually getting ready to, to build another home where I'll have a shop in it. So it's, that's something that, uh, that's something I always like in my, place in Minnesota I've got a barn with a shop in it so it's I spend some time around there just tinkering it's it's uh yeah I, I think I you know between my dad and my grandfathers there are lots of uh yeah there's been a lot of time in the shop even actually when I first started playing in Hartford um it was you know in the 83 84 is my first year that was the year I was married and then uh my wife and I had our own uh building renovation company we're buying houses in the summer redoing them and selling them in in the hartford area i was way before any of these tv shows came so i had a little company there that i ran in the summer and just like to keep busy hey last one for me mentors are always a huge thing for you in a playing career who is a player mentor for you and now that you've kind of moved in so eloquently uh, into the coaching reign who is a coaching mentor for you can i ask that First of all, the coaches are, are uh, you know, my my first one was Terry Simpson in junior. It's funny, I, I played for Terry in Prince Albert, and then I ended up playing for Terry in Philly my last year. You know, so he was uh, he was a guy that certainly uh, uh, taught me a lot of life lessons. That's for sure. The other one would be Dave King. You know, I played for him in both Olympic times. I was there, um, had him work on my staff in Arizona. Just probably probably the most intelligent hockey man you know, in the, in the world that I've ever met, like just, you can sit down. He's like a mad scientist. He, he used to come in and after the second period, we'd be up a goal or something. He'd tip, I maybe we should play three defensemen and two forwards this period or something, you know, and he just get me thinking, well, <laughs> but just incredible intelligence to the game. So those are, those are the two coaches. I had some other great coaches. I played one year for Scotty Bowman uh, in Pittsburgh. Tex Evans was my first coach in Hartford, which yeah. Um, you know, he was, he never said boo to anybody and was a great bench coach players. You know, I I had some great, those old Hartford teams were, were, there was a lot of players that were kind of came through there in the mid eighties. So we're all still close friends. We, we played in the golf tournament. It was Ronnie Francis and Kevin Deneen and Joel Quinville. Um, uh, Mike Lee was there last weekend. So, there's a lot of those guys there that I've stayed close friends with that were all like, they were great, great teammates, smart hockey guys. This is before coaching kind of came in. Joel and I used to laugh. Our penalty kill meeting was, you know, as we're five minutes before we're going to go on the ice and play a team, we'd stand at the blackboard and well, let's, here's what I think the Stassnies are going to do tonight, or here's where LaFleur shoots from. And, and uh, that was our penalty kill, meaning the way we went and did it, you know. So uh, there was a group of players there that really were, um, you know, they kind of formed an identity in all of us. Uh, we really enjoyed each other's company and, and learned a lot of hockey from each other. Thanks for your time today. Uh, Robin, do you have anything else to wrap up? Yeah, one quick one. Uh, you had some options, Tip. Uh, we got the expansion club going down in Seattle. We've had a couple of years here where it hasn't been normal. We haven't had fans in the rink for a while. Um, are you glad you came? I sure am, yeah. And I'm looking forward to getting back to normal a little bit. You know, it's uh, I've been in the league a long, long time, and they've been they've been – couple of weird years here you know like and some of it some of the hockey last year was fun but it would have been a lot more fun with the normal fans and and just normal being able to to live life a little bit so hopefully we get back to that and you know Edmonton is a great city I've enjoyed living in Edmonton my wife likes uh, coming up in Edmonton it's it's great people I'm looking forward to uh, 
to a regular year where you got the passion of the fans. Hopefully we can get our team up and running and, and playing well. And so people are excited about what we're doing. And that's what, that's what we're looking for. Those are, those are the things that um, I was expecting when I come to Edmonton. It'd be nice to get to that. Thanks for your time. And we'll see you at the rink. Sounds good. Hopefully soon. The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, as expected, things did slow down on the real estate front in the Metro Edmonton market over the summer. That's no big surprise. We all kind of knew that was coming. Brent's been saying it for months. However, things do tend to pick up a little bit in September and October before we get into the winter months. Hate to bring that up, but after all, it is toward the end of August, so we got to start thinking about it. But if you're finding that your household is a little on the small side right now and your current family roster is growing, then now's a good time to track them down. Give them a call at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, and they can assist you with the sale of your pick or your purchase of your next superstar. You can find them at 780-464-0075 or mcintoshgroup.ca if you want to send them an email and they would love to chat with you. They can get the process going with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. It's been really quite strong this year. They're very happy with the way things have gone, both buyers and sellers. Anyway, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. So there we go. This is kind of the end of season two of The Outsiders and the start of season three. Robin, let's talk about our, our two years. It's been crazy. And we, we've addressed the COVID thing. I think we've all kind of come through that. And, uh, you know, some of us have gone through some health issues. I know I have, but I don't want to get go down that road. We've certainly talked about it plenty, way too much for my liking. But I'd like to focus forward a little bit. But we've gone through two years. We've had some great guests We've had great repeat guests, and this has been a lot of fun. Completely agree on all counts, pal. Um, I think, what did we say today? 71 episodes in the uh, in the books already, and we would have had uh, many more had you not been so rudely interrupted. And, um, yeah, it's gone by pretty quickly. Now, let's talk about the engagement of obviously we're engaged and uh, obviously the, the guests we have have been outstanding. You know, today with Dave Tippett was fantastic. And, and we vary the topic up a little bit in the discussion, because I'm interested in finding things out like the fact that he's working on old cars and motorbikes or, uh, you know, I, that to me, that just makes these people more human. And, and you and I all have, have been talking all, all through these previous 70 episodes about the fact that, if we can find one thing about a guest that we didn't know before or is right out of the blue, that to me is a successful interview. And and we've been able to, I think, succeed at that level. And, and that's what makes it fun for me. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, absolutely. And we have talked about it. You know, we can find out a lot about the uh, coaches, the teams, the athletes uh, that may, that grab our attention in the sports world by looking up the score, reading the game stories, and looking up statistics, uh, people can essentially get that anywhere. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, coach, or tell me a little bit about yourself, rookie. Um, to me, when you get something that isn't part of every post-game uh, interview, uh, that's where the interest level is. And when you learn something about a, uh, a player or a coach or a team official, uh, to me, that's the whole purpose for doing a, a uh, a bit like this well and the other thing too is that you know we've been doing a podcast once a week it's hard to be really specific so we talk in generalities right for the most part we we talk about the overall 
situation rather than isolating on the power play this week or 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 how the Elks are uh, in the red zone, that kind of stuff, because that gets very dated very quickly. But it's it's been fun to kind of talk to guys and just find out a little bit more about them along with what they do. And, and to me, that's been my favorite part of the previous two seasons as we move into season three. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, maybe, uh, I don't know what you, how much you want to give up, if, if anything at all. But, uh, you know, for me, and I'm maybe for the people that have come to enjoy listening to us, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Uh, we may not be 100% clear on it yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to what we do next, Brent. Well, and here's the thing. When we talk about the engagement factor, we, at least I'm hearing, and I, I know you hear it as well, Robin, we hear from people that we know or people that we meet and they're saying how much they're enjoying the podcast. And we love that, but there's going to be an evolution of this podcast coming up here over the next month to two months where either we start to expand it or just continue the way we're going. I mean, I, I don't really know what the evolution is going to be over the next 30 to 45 days, but really the feedback that we can get from people and potential advertisers, that's huge right now. And we really are relying on people to give us a little bit of feedback. Yeah. I mean, you know, us talking into a microphone doesn't matter much if it's not what interests people. Uh, What we talk about, how often we talk about, and that's something that you and I are, you know, batting around. Uh, Do we want to go more times weekly uh, to to, uh, stay more on top of, timely news when it does happen those are things that are all uh you know those are balls that are in the air that we've got to decide on in the next little while the other thing too the support from everybody has been overwhelming and you know the one thing that we really want people to do is to help us get the message out so if you're on twitter for example our handle's really simple it's at outsiders 2020 make sure you tell your friends to uh to follow us and our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like there's Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer. You know, you know what it's all about. And we're also we're also on YouTube as well. So make sure that you tell your 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 buds exactly uh, where you're listening to our podcast, and uh, that support is greatly appreciated. Anything else, Robin? Are we good? Yeah, I th- I think I'm pretty good now. It's. Uh... I'll just wait uh, for this thing to drop so I can uh, decide whether we did a good job. I thought the interview with Tip was, uh, it sounded good as we were doing it. Let's uh, have a listen to it when it pops out. And we had a ton of fun today as well. Robin, thanks. Talk to you next week. You sure will, pal. storm in the castle.